If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this October 1st, 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. In hour number two, we are traditionally joined by a special guest, and that is indeed the case this week. John Gibson, a guy who I've been watching on television for a very long time, a former uh, Fox News television host and most recently a Fox News radio host who just recently was let go by Fox News is going to join us to talk about a number of uh, interesting topics, including our disagreement over Donald Trump, what's really going on at Fox News Channel, and since O.J. Simpson got released from prison today and since John became famous covering the O.J. Simpson trial, I'll also ask him about that subject as well and he joins us now john gibson welcome to the podcast thanks john thanks for having me on well i'm really looking forward to this interview for a couple different reasons um i I have been a fan of yours for a very long time going all the way back to the oj days which uh, we're going to talk about since uh, oj is back in the news again today but before we do that uh i'm also interested in your opinions on donald trump because uh, you and I um, had some interaction during what I refer to my Sarah Palin era, yeah. where, where, where I came on your show several times to discuss my defense of her. And I've always considered you to, to be a very rational and smart guy. Uh, you're, you're certainly not a um, – I, I, I wouldn't call you remotely extreme in your political opinions. I think you would agree with that, right? You're, you're, you're a fairly conservative, moderate guy. Is that, is that a fair assessment? That's what the conservatives say about me. They they think I'm I'm too squishy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I didn't say squishy. I just <laughs> was trying to give my impression of where you are politically. And yet, uh, over the last year or so, you and I have have uh, jabbed back and forth on Twitter because it appears as if uh, you're not you know we're, we're certainly not in the same boat when it comes to Donald Trump. That you uh, are far more of a supporter of Donald Trump than I am, and I and I seek to understand how that came to be so so why don't you give us a sense of your the the evolution of your thought on donald trump through the republican primary process and now as president of the united states well okay so uh those people who listen to my show uh, constantly rag me about the fact that during the primary i said if donald trump uh, gets a nomination and ends up 
moving, uh, ends up winning, I'm moving to Paris. And um, I voted for Kasich in the Texas primary. And, you know, like everybody, I mean, I, I think anybody who's a realist, uh, number one, recognizes Donald Trump does these crazy things all the time. But the other part of being a realist is understanding that's not going to change. Um, it, we, we've now seen so much of it that you know you just kind of, when I you know I, I see people on Twitter all the time raging about you know Donald Trump did this and Donald Trump did that and I I just want to say well what do you expect I mean did you think things were going to get any different and what I learned from talking on my show to to actual voters who support Donald Trump is that and I guess I should have known this. Uh, you know, before Trump actually came along, uh, I should have known that uh, people were, especially you know, conservative people. And I don't mean, I don't mean the the D.C., New York, and Sella Corridor conservatives who, you know, intellectualize everything. I, I just mean everyday people uh, who are trying to get by in this economy, in this culture, in this society. That they're mad about a lot of stuff, and. He, for better or worse, has his finger plugged into that way more than anybody else and has had for a long time. I mean, I got schooled by my listeners about NAFTA, for instance, and trade deals and jobs. And, and then, you know, he, he, he puts his finger in the electric socket of cultural issues all the time. And, and so... My support of Trump has less to do with him personally and his excesses, which, you know, I find myself shrugging about, uh, and more to do with uh, supporting the people who voted for him. I mean, one of the things I think that has become abundantly clear to, uh, to the uh, intellectual conservative class in Washington, the people who write things and, you know, are on panels and all that, is they thought that they had Republicans, you know, all gathered up around their conservative banner, and it was all about the Constitution and freedom <laughs> and free trade. And, it, and Trump came along and just blew that all up. Yeah. It just blew it up. And, I, I, you know, whether you're talking about Jonah Goldberg or uh, Stephen Hayes or, you know, any of those, Rich Lowry, any of those grade-A writers, I think they were just blown away to discover that this bunch of people out there that they thought were all, you know, because of the Tea Party movement, were all about the Constitution and don't tread on me and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. No. It, it, that, was, that was ephemeral. That was uh, a mirage. That was kind of, yeah, I mean, they'd say, yeah, we are. But they really like the way Donald Trump just kind of goes after everything head on. So, you know, just to circle back to your question, I, I think of myself more as uh, a supporter of Trump voters uh, and an and antagonist and a, uh, as you put it, a, a jabber at these people who are always just having vapors about what Trump did last. Mm-hmm. And Twitter explodes. You see all these people. Right. I mean, I've, I've been so amused this weekend to watch everybody gasping about what he said about Puerto Rico. And as near as I can tell from peeking through the fog of opinion that's masquerading as news, uh, 
there is kind of a problem in Puerto Rico in that all kinds of aid has arrived stacked up on the dock and no truckers to deliver it. Well, how is it possible that out of three and a half million Puerto Ricans, there's nobody can drive a truck? Well, then it turns out there's actually a union, and they're just holding back driving the trucks until they get a better deal. So, I, I mean, you know, it just seems to me every once in a while, through the, the storm of outrage about whatever Trump has tweeted or said, uh, by the time you get a glimmer of what's actually going on, you go, well, maybe he's on to something here. Anyway, so well, well, okay. does that answer anything? No, no, that's that's all fascinating to me, and and I think you hold you hold a unique space in this uh, debate, John, because I've never heard anybody answer the, to this subject quite the way that you did, and I find a lot of it to be very interesting. So let me hit on a couple of, of the things that I'm I'm curious about. Okay. For, first of all, when you said uh, early on in the primaries that if if Trump won, you would move to Paris. Was that because you didn't think there was any chance that that would happen or because you thought the country wouldn't be worth living in or somewhere in between? What was the... No, I articulated the reason at the time was that I thought if he got the nomination... Actually, I should correct myself. I said if he got the nomination, I'd move to Paris. I didn't think he could possibly win. Right. I, I thought if he got the nomination, it would meant for sure Hillary would win. And that was the best argument to not support Trump. Right, which was perfectly logical at the time. Right. <laughs> it turned out to be totally wrong, of course. Well, uh, it did, but it, you see, but part of, John, and I think this is where maybe you and I start to, to how we differ on this, because your, your argument here is you're on behalf of the Trump voter. And uh, to, I have a very different view of the Trump voter than you do. And the, my, the, the first view that differs is that there's not as many of them as as a lot of people would like on the Trump side to believe. I mean, let's face it. He lost the popular vote by 3 million votes. He underperformed Mitt Romney in a lot of places. He underperformed Mitt Romney nationally. He only overperformed Mitt Romney in two states that mattered, Pennsylvania and Florida. The reality is Hillary was just such a horrible, historically bad candidate that he ends up winning in the fluke of all flukes. Do you, do well, you disagree with that? I, I mean... No, I don't disagree, uh, because, look, um, Hillary's support was in, in the two or three states where that, that, that overvote uh, occurred, and, and she got three million more votes, California, New right. York, and Massachusetts, right? So, actually, um, if, if you look at it that way, it's, it, 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 in my view, anyway, it underscores my theory about him more than anything. More than ever, because you know, Obama got people in those states that Trump won this time. Mm -hmm. um, that that you know that Trump got this time, and and so if you you know this is like a I don't know it's like a billiard shot you know it's a three bank carom shot, and he he was able to pull off something in the Electoral College that seemed to be impossible. And I believe that even he didn't actually think he was going to be able to do it right Correct. after election night. Correct. <laughs> Although his people kept saying, no, 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 we're, our metrics showed, blah, blah, blah. But listen, I know people. I know a guy, and I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to give any hint other than it's a guy <laughs> who quit the news. His job. Because... He'd never been so wrong. 
Well, I, I and, wish more and, people and would do that when they're very, when they're very wrong. Um. Well, I mean, <laughs> what the problem was that all of the people and the systems and the metrics he'd always depended on for a political reporter were just all wrong. See, but I don't think they were that wrong. See, that's what I, I, I hate. Well, he when, took it that way. That's well, my no, point. But, but, but see, to me, and I, and I realize it sounds like we're ha- rehashing old news, but it's not. It's important. Uh, for a lot of reasons, and one of which is context for understanding where we currently are but and, and where we're going. But see, my belief that Trump could not beat Hillary was based in a couple of things. One, I never saw any chance of him getting over 46% of the popular vote, and I thought there was no chance she got less than 47% of the popular vote. Both of those things ended up being true. In any other election in American history, that's game, set, match, okay? And so it's not as if the metrics were all wrong. The, the final polls weren't that far off. In fact, the final national polls were pretty close. Where they were off was in Wisconsin, off the charts wrong uh, because Hillary's voters didn't show up. Michigan, same deal. And then in a couple other places where it was a 50-50 shot, like Pennsylvania and Florida, Trump got lucky because, frankly, he had incumbent Republican senators carrying him over the finish line who outperformed him in those two states, including Marco Rubio, who he disparaged during the entire primary. That's how this happened, John. Well, I wouldn't quarrel. I mean, it sounds like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just as I was saying, it's a three-bank carom shot. And, 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 yeah, he did it. But the fact of the matter is, he, you know, by typical or, you know, sort of ordinary or traditional uh, political figuring, he shouldn't have won Wisconsin. He definitely shouldn't have won Michigan. Right. And he shouldn't have won Pennsylvania. I mean, that, that one, they, the Democrats buy Pennsylvania every year by buying Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And for, for him to overcome the walking around money gig in Philadelphia is astonishing, if you stop and think about it. No, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I, I know the state exceedingly well, maybe too well, because I did not believe he was going to win it based upon uh, the history. Although um, in my, my lone conversation I ever had with Donald Trump in person was all about how Pennsylvanians love him. Uh, and this was a, year, a couple of years before uh, he even ran. Uh, so this was part of his plan. To his credit, I mean, he, I don't think he's very smart, but he's not an imbecile. And, and I think he saw the potential appeal and, and running a campaign that was based upon appealing to the people in the middle of the state of Pennsylvania, which is basically Alabama separated by, by Pittsburgh and, and Philadelphia, which James Carville famously said. So, so look, I, I, I get all this, but I, I want to get back to this, to the issue of the, the Trump voter that you say that you are fighting for, right? I mean, are they, Well, I, I, I tend to—I I don't know that I'm fighting for him, but— I tend to stick up for him because I see so much denigration of him. Right, and I, I'm, I'm right at the forefront of that. I will be the first to acknowledge I do denigrate them. Because, because John, I, I don't think, I, I think there's three things that are important here in, in general. One, I think they've been duped. Now, let's, let's address them one by one. 
to me, if I was really defending or, or speaking up for the Trump voter like you are, I'd be pissed off on their behalf because I believe they've been duped by a con man into believing a whole bunch of things that were never, ever, ever, ever going to happen. Like, for instance, the wall or massive deportations or blowing up trade deals or or getting rid of Obamacare. None of that was ever going to happen, John. So why aren't you pissed off on their behalf for having been duped by a con man? Well, because, all right, so first of all, I don't believe the wall can't be built. I don't know if it will be, but all it is is a tilt-up building with no sides. I mean, you know, it's really not that hard. It's, I, I but it's not going to happen. I, I live in Dallas. I watch tilt-up buildings go up in, a, in two weeks. And uh, basically, big slabs are poured on the ground. They tilt them up. Boom. You, you got a wall. Uh, I, don't, I don't see why, you know, wall couldn't happen. I may not for a lot of reasons, but, you know, as an aspirational matter, uh, I think it would be Look, my whole my whole opinion about the immigration problem is we don't let enough people in legally. We have ridiculously small numbers of people let in legally from Mexico, so they have no choice but to sneak across. And therefore, if you make it very, very, very difficult to sneak across and you raise the number of legals, you should have a handle on the problem. Okay, that's one. Uh, the uh, the mass deportations I was never for anyway, but I'm telling you, I love this sanctuary city raid that just went on this weekend. I mean, they hit Portland and San Francisco and, uh, you know, a few others that claim to be sanctuary cities and rounded up these criminals. I agree I with it, too, John, but I, I think those things happened before uh, under well, Obama they, they, as well. Get back to your point, you know, this con man. I mean, who's a bigger con man than Barack Obama? <laughs> Who's a bigger con man? I'm than not going to defend Barack Obama or Bill Clinton, well, but that, no, but that but we I were mean, supposed to be say, better if than you that. Say the problem is that that a guy or a person uh, to take Hillary into the into the mix too uh, runs a con is like yeah okay this guy well, is blue they do hold on but, a second oh my wait, I'm not going to be put in a position of defending Barack Obama but Barack Obama fulfilled or attempted to fulfill a lot of his major promises. He passed Obamacare, for heaven's sakes. He promised a transformational change in America, which he did in a lot of ways. But he conned Uh, a lot of white people to vote against their interests. I agree that he conned white people into thinking that he would end the racial divide and right, all that. Right, when he made it worse. I, I agree with that 100%. But I don't. this whataboutism has never been a persuasive argument for me yeah, but with regard you, to... But ahead. the problem with the whataboutism argument is it's a way to close off comparisons that need to be made. And, and you know, Brian Stelter and his whataboutism... And that whole thing at CNN, well, they, 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 they bitch out one thing or another that Trump is doing, and you go, well, wait a minute. Yeah, what, what about it? Oh, no, that's what about ism. You can't do that. Well, I'm telling you, most debates are what about ism. And if you say you can't do it, it just closes off one side of the debate. But go ahead. I digress. No, no. I, look, I, I, I think you make a valid point, John. And, uh, but to me, I always thought that we were better Number one. Number two, I think that we're going to pay a very, very dear, dear price in the long run here. And that's always been my my major objection to the Trump situation is that we are 
we're getting very, very little up front, if anything. I mean, we you know we got Gorsuch, great, okay, fantastic. That's a, maybe a wash with Antonin Scalia. Uh, so you know, frankly, what I'm seeing so far is Obama's third term. If Scalia had lived, I, I don't see very much change. Maybe some things on the periphery, but other than that, I, I see very little that, that would be different. And 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 the Republican brand, the conservative brand, has been destroyed among oh, oh i agree with you among I mean, yeah and so and that's going that is going to cost us as conservatives and i believe this country in the long run very dearly and by the way i'm not even talking about 30 40 years from now i'm talking about 10 probably maybe 15 at the tops when we have complete total democratic socialist rule made without even a filibuster now and no way to stop this with the demographic changes as a tidal wave going against us where am i wrong on that well okay so let me just start at the beginning um you have a president who uh, you know got elected as a and I'll put air quotes here, conservative or Republican, air right. quotes all around it. Right. Um, but but he's not. It, he What he mostly is is a guy who wants to see the scoreboard lit up with his name and, and him crushing the opposition, uh, whoever that may be. And the way the Republicans are behaving in, in, in Congress, uh, in both houses, uh, I'd I have no doubt he's going to turn to Chuck Schumer on all kinds of things. Um, and, and look, one of the things I think has been revealed since the Republicans uh, took power is there really isn't a Republican Party. It's a bunch of factions right of center mm-hmm. that actually can't stand each other. <laughs> so, so you've got people who are will say, yeah, sure, well, let's just fix Obamacare and throw a trillion dollars at it. You've got Rand Paul saying, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. And, and, and they're not going to change because, number one, they're principled, honestly principled. Number two, they promise their voters they do X and so. So, you know, with, with that bunch of cats running around and, and poor old Mitch McConnell trying to hurt them, I think it's quite possible that, yeah, you're going to see a lot of what we used to call Democrat or liberal policies uh, instituted under Trump and, and, and Schumer. Uh, that, that's very possible because Trump didn't really care that much. So he, how is this good then, John? What am I missing? Well, I, I mean, it, it's a little bit like this, um, this whole debate about uh, going on right now about these football players and Black Lives Matter and so forth. And they say, uh, well, we're, we're trying to start the conversation. Now, in their case, they don't want the conversation to include the rhetoric uh, causing certain people to go out and kill cops. They want to set that aside. But in this context, I think, you know, people will see. I mean, look, if it turns out that that, that Donald Trump presides over uh, essentially a liberal takeover of the government again, we've seen it happen a few times, if it happens again, then I think you know, the conversation will change, and maybe it won't be him that's, uh, that's uh, you know, leading it on the conservative side. I mean, look, John, I think there's a very good chance that it could be Republicans who lead the impeachment, who would look up one day and say, we'd much rather have Mike Pence than Donald Trump. Let's impeach him. 
they will only do that uh, once they lose the majority. See, uh, that's. uh, But they can't if they lose the majority. No, no. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, you might. Let's pretend that Democrats take the House and they decide they want to. No, the reverse. Let them have the Senate. The House would say, okay, we can file the charges. It'll go to the Senate where, if it's Democrat, they would convict him. Well, they need two thirds, which is probably too much. But my, my here's my my point is about Republicans. Republicans will only abandon Trump if they're no longer in the majority and have nothing to lose. See, part of the reason why they will not abandon Trump is that they cherish their majority and they know that if they abandon Trump with him in the in, in with them in the majority. That majority is gone because his cult will leave them and either will not vote for them in the midterms or will actually vote for the other side. So well, how big it, do you think his cult is? I believe that his cult is about uh, 25 to 35 percent of the uh, Republican part of those who identify as Republicans. Uh, and so I would say it's probably a, it's in the range of 10 to 20 percent of the country. Is, 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 a, is a Trump cult. That, and, and so that's a big enough number to where if that turns on you as a Republican Party, you can't win. You can't win anything. And that's what, that is Trump's power. That's Trump's leverage. That's why Paul Ryan has turned into a complete eunuch, <laughs> because he wants to remain in the majority. And he knows that if Trump bolts, it's over. Now, if, now all of a sudden, see, Republicans get their balls back when they're in the minority. Because then they have nothing to lose. And that's why, you know, when they were in the... Well, min- but they, the other thing they can do is, is say stupid stuff that they'll never do. Right. It, like repeal and replace. Okay. Because when it, when it comes time to actually do it near in the majority, it turns out there's 15 different Republican parties, not one. No, I, I agree with you, but there's... And I'm not going to defend the Republican establishment, but repealing Obamacare in 2017 is a hell of a lot different and much more difficult than it would have been, let's say, if Romney had won in 2012. See, to me, that was the end of this. This was over once Romney got defeated. Once Obama was reelected, Obamacare was forever. Either that or we're going to go to single-payer and socialized uh, oh, medicine. Yeah, I, I'm convinced that, 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 that that's going to happen. Right. And so and so, I guess, I guess where I'm baffled, John, is you, you seem to be defending something and i know you're saying that you're defending the the trump voter or, or fighting for them or whatever you're, you're however you want to phrase it that you're, you're sticking up for them but to me uh i don't think the trump voter is is worthy of, of such defense and, well, I mean. <laughs> and no i mean i don't i think i gotta tell you john i think the average trump voter is a combination of a couple of things one of which is ignorant about the way things yeah. work yeah, 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 and okay. and and i also believe that I, and I'm curious, I'm going to ask you a direct question. What, since you're more in touch with them than I am, since they're your audience, since you're the one sticking up for them, what percentage of the Trump supporter, the Trump, what I would refer to as the cult member, is really just in this for the gags, just in this for the entertainment, just, just, just loves the fact that Trump punches him in the mouth and it's fun to watch? Are you not entertained? I mean, what, what percentage do you think is, is in that category? Well, I, I look... It, in the in the way you describe it, I think it's a small percentage, but I do think that there's there's an aspect of what you describe uh, to Trump voters that they 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 are so sick of this system back there that, that you know just screws them and co-opts anybody they send there 
that they're looking for a bowling ball to just knock over the pins. And in that way, they're kind of anarchistic, um, and, and they don't care. Just just knock it all down. I don't care. I want to see ruins. And, um, and Are you not entertained? And, right. <laughs> and so, you, you know, uh, part of me goes, well, okay, uh, yeah, you know, this could be a little self-destructive. But the other part of me is, yeah, I mean, you know, the, for instance, the whole political class, left and right, intellectual, you know, the whole intelligentsia back there were all for free trade and NAFTA and TPP and all that stuff before Trump came along and, and exposed the fact that there was just this huge number of Americans who had gotten screwed by it and had finally figured it out after 20 years and, and, and had decided, you know what, it's not good to lose your job and get a welfare check in exchange. It, it's, it's not a good deal. We want that job okay. back. So, we want so to what is, the living so, back. So, John, what has Trump done to help those people, to change any of that? I don't see anything. Well, you know, it, 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 look, I, it's kind of, uh, I mean, if, if you could sit Trump down, and I'll never, he's never going to sit down with me, but um, I don't think he could articulate this, but... There's there's an attitudinal difference. It does make. It, I mean, the GDP took a real jump just now. Um, people's wages have gone up. I mean, you know, we're not talking about a lot, but still they have. It turned around the other direction. Uh, the amount of illegals coming across the border has dropped just because of talk. Uh, so there there is an attitudinal difference. I mean, I do think. I think he's totally that was to- that's, that was totally Trump's uh, proclamation during the campaign. Elect me, and we'll have an attitudinal <laughs> attitudinal right, difference. No, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, if you asked him, he would say, "No, no, it's not just talk. It's you know, I'm really going to do these things." But I think the talk does make a difference. I think it makes a huge difference in North Korea. Um, you know, I mean, look, you talk about Gorsuch being, you know, well, we got Gorsuch out of the deal. That, that's a big deal. But, you know, God help us how he figured it out, but James Mattis is the best thing that's ever happened to the State Department, I mean the Defense Department, in a very, very long time. We don't have a State Department, by the way, just to be clear. There, there, well, there, there is no State Department. Well, it's, you know, it's just old Rex. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, listen, my co-anchor, Heather Nauert, is now the spokesperson, so, you know, uh, mind your manners. Okay. Uh, um, Best-looking best <laughs> spokesperson in the history of, of spokespeople. You know, and I, I must say... I, I think she's been doing very well. No, I, I'm sh- I, I have no problem with her, but the, but the State Department has been basically neutered, and uh, I mean we saw that over the well, weekend. Shouldn't it have been? Well, I don't know. Rex Tillerson just got mocked by Trump on Twitter today. Uh, well, welcome to the club. <laughs> if I could get on his radar, he'd mock me. Okay. I, I mean, it's, just, right. it's like, oh right. yeah, okay, another person is right. is like, you know, and and come on, you must. I mean, I, I know you're a sensible person. You must be a, 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 a amused by the endless outrage that that's almost volcanic on Twitter. Oh my God, he said this. Oh my God, have you ever? And and do you watch Morning Joe once in a while? No. Oh, I, I mean, it's, I just think that that aspect of it is pure crazy. And 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 look, part of it is. 
you know, do you think maybe if we had the kind of access to every word Franklin Roosevelt said behind closed doors after his third martini, or Winston <laughs> Churchill said after one of those meals he drank with four bottles of claret and a bottle of champagne. Right. You don't, we wouldn't have been just beside ourselves with what those guys were saying. That's an interesting point, John, but they knew that they weren't uh, being broadcast publicly. And uh, the idea that our president can't make that distinction or doesn't have the impulse control to prevent himself from spewing that stuff to the whole world the via Twitter. The only thing Trump doesn't do in public is run around naked. I mean, he has nice okay. suits. But other than that, it's all public. Right, but, it, you know, but, that's, I, but that, I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing, John. I, I will agree with you on this. I think liberals are politically stupid for their hyperventilation at this point. If they can't figure out by now that this actually plays into Trump's hands, then, right, then they, that, get, yeah. they get what they deserve. There's no question it plays directly into Trump's hands they, because they overreact every single time. And, you know, the, most people just tune out and they think, oh, they're attacking our, our, our president again. If you like Trump, you're not going to dislike him because the liberals and the media tell you to or people on Twitter tell you to. That's never going to happen. Uh, so I agree with you there. But to me, there, there's a certain decorum uh, by the uh, by, oh, the president yeah. that ought to be uh, adhered to, and he clearly uh, doesn't, doesn't care about there. It doesn't, yeah. And, I mean, but look, here's the thing. <laughs> I of all the ways to waste my breath, you know, <laughs> that had to be, that has to be number one. I mean, and there's a certain sort of virtue signaling aspect uh, about it that just leaves me cold. Yeah, I understand. Trump, well, Trump shoots off his mouth about. I mean, I wouldn't be going after the the San Juan mayor if I were him. Uh, but <laughs> getting all upset that he did, number one, doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. Number two, all it does is say to certain people, "Well, you know, you you know, you you're somebody who recognized correct behavior." And it's yeah, okay. I mean, people do it fine. Um, I just can't bring myself to. All right. Bother with it. All right, John, let's talk about the, the news media, and, and let's start with you specifically. Uh, for a long time, you were at Fox News as a television and a, as a radio host. Uh, that is no longer the case. Uh, tell us about uh, your leaving of Fox News Radio, and, and keep in mind that I, I understand that your son still works for Fox News, so right. so, so, so so you need to be at least a little bit uh, reser- reserved in your comments. But tell us about uh, why it is that you're no longer at Fox News. Um, okay, I think that, uh, that uh, you know, I, I mean, I... I don't think this is uh, would be shocking for people at Fox News to hear me say, as I, I think I made it clear to a lot of people is what I think. But um, Fox News Radio is trying to make money. Um, there are two guys there; they were paying me and Tom Sullivan, and there uh, there were two guys that were under contract. Me and Sullivan were not under contract; we were, you know, working at will. And uh, there were two guys that were under contract uh, that they were paying, and it just, they, the bean counter said, two guys got to go. Uh, you might as well put people in those slots that you have under contract and you're obligated to pay for a while anyway. So, uh, uh, Gibson, it's been nice knowing you. You're 17 years. Uh, you're a good guy, but we're done. And uh, this was not a totally unexpected uh, development. 
as far as I was concerned. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, I know I knew basically what the finances were with uh, radio, and it was kind of shaky. And so, you know, it, it was not a shock when they called me up and said, we're, we're dropping you and replacing you with this other guy. Um, so, you know, I'd rather it hadn't happened, but then again it went uh, – gave me an opportunity to go out on my own independently where if I get stations and I sell advertising, I can actually do better than I ever did at Fox. Uh, will that happen? I don't know. But th- th- that's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, the bigger picture about Fox is what's going on there. And uh, I think that um, uh, there were developments that I thought were regrettable uh i thought that that whole thing with uh, roger was terrible and um you know i just i i mean one of his accusers uh in um in the one of those big pieces i think new york magazine one of those gabe sherman stories uh was a woman that i had uh, had worked for me on my show and i I, I couldn't believe that people were taking her seriously. I, I just couldn't. She admits that she's mentally ill, and she's said all kinds of terrible things. And the fact that she admitted to the reporter that she's mentally ill, uh, I was blown away that that was taken as a uh, as a corroborating factor uh, and not a factor that would cause you to discount some of her story. So, uh, look... I don't know what happened with all those women. Uh, I will say this. Uh, you know, many of those women complained that Roger made them do the twirl, the stand-up and twirl, and uh, they thought that he was looking at their rear end. And uh, I can tell you from being in that room with Roger myself, uh, he's very concerned with how, with whether his anchors are gaining weight. And he told me one day, uh, you gained you gained 10 pounds. I said, you're kind, it's 20. Uh, so it, it was um, a lot of that stuff that that I heard uh, go on about Ailes, I thought was interpreted in the worst possible light and, um, in my opinion, wasn't uh, the correct interpretation. And so I was sorry to see him... Uh, uh, you know, look. So, so John. Think, so, so, just to be clear, John, and you're a guy with, uh, you know, with a, a background in, in uh, a lot of legal cases. You, you know, you became famous in the OJ case, and you know, you've looked at a lot of, uh, you know, evidence in, in, in similar type situations. Your view seems to be that Roger Ailes got a raw deal. Is that a fair assessment? Look, I don't know what went on. You know, uh, you know. Let's take Gretchen Carlson's uh, assertion and Megyn Kelly's mm-hmm. assertion that he hit on them. I don't know. If he did, he did. But um, I do think that, uh, you know, if you look back over the 20 years, uh, there's a reasonable case to be made that that the Fox story is the greatest story ever told in television. It just, it, it from from nothing to what it was in 20 years, an absolute juggernaut in which, its two competitors, CNN and MSNBC, had no no hope of ever catching up, ever. Uh, they, that Chris Matthews would live life in second or third place his entire life, right? And Rachel Maddow would as well. Um, 
the you know blowing up ales uh, gave them a shot, and uh, and the the rise and fall of of of, uh, of ales and you know and, and and Fox as a total dominant force and an unbelievable juggernaut. Uh, is I think is one of the greatest stories ever told in television. I don't know if uh, if the Tiffany Network or General Sarnoff can compete with it. It's it's it really is an amazing amazing story and particularly tragic in the end. Uh, you know, especially with uh, Roger dying. Um, so the whole thing is, you know, I'm glad to have been there. I mean, I think it was the highlight of my career and it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Both the rise and the fall, uh, and you know, someday somebody will tell that story. Somebody who knows more of the details than me. Now, the way I hear you tell it, John, it sounds like, based upon your your interaction with Ailes, that if you were a young woman instead of an older white guy, Fox could never have gotten rid of you because you could have threatened to sue. Well, you know, if if uh, if a if a guy running the network uh, is um, if 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 it is a actionable offense to uh, ask his anchors to stand up and he can take a look and see if they're getting fat, then, then yeah, there was going to be a problem because uh, he definitely, you know, he didn't <clears throat> he didn't ask me to stand up and troll, but he could tell I was gaining weight, and um, and look, you know, I, I was I was also a lot older than anybody uh, there. Um, you know, when I when I was 59, I went to Roger and said, because uh, I could see the writing on the wall, there's all these young people there, and I said, how much longer do you want me to do this? And he said, eh, two, three more years. Well, right on time, two, three more years, they said, okay, are you ready to go? I mean, it literally was three years almost a day. And um, and Megan Kelly's waiting in the wings, and I, I could see what was going on. I said, yeah, sure, I'll go to radio now, and that'll be fine. Um, because I realized that at that point I was 62, and that was getting a little long of tooth around Fox to be to be an anchor. Um, if if Fox is anything, it's you know it's air it's main air people are are pretty young. Um, but they're and, also pre- <laughs> using the word pretty. The women are pretty. I mean, that's what base to me. That's what that is. The bread and butter of Fox News Channel is that they understand their demographic uh, of middle-aged white male conservatives like getting their news and opinions from pretty young women. Is that not true? I don't know about the opinion part um, because uh, I mean you got to be uh, the opinion part requires you to be smart. Uh, Megan Kelly is certainly smart. Uh, Dana Perino is certainly smart. Uh, in addition to being pretty, but yeah, I mean it's TV. Years and years and years ago, uh, one of my first jobs in TV, I had a cameraman who had a a, a a wife who was not pretty, and she'd occasionally go out with us when we were shooting. She'd always complain about this: only pretty people on TV. And I'd go, "Well, you know, it's kind of you're looking at people. You know, <laughs> what do you want to look at? <laughs> I mean, there's definitely an aspect to that. And and by the way." I have seen some of the people who are on TV uh, all the time before they go in the makeup room and after they come out of the makeup room, and there's there can be a thousand percent difference in before <laughs> and after. 
I, I will tell you. You want to name any names? Uh, well, no, I don't. Because, <laughs> I, But I'm talking about not only anchors, but guests. Oh, yeah. Sure. I, I mean, I'm talking about famous guests you see on all the time or always holding news conferences and, and are on TV right. all the time. Right. And I've seen them at 4 o'clock but, in the morning about to go on the Today Show in the makeup chair. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> girls, get to work on that one. <laughs> you know? But you will acknowledge that the threshold for uh, ugliness is uh, far greater for men uh, on television and news than it is for women. I mean, especially at Fox, right? I mean, there, there's, there's no question that you can get it. I mean, my God, Pat. Cadell has been on Fox News Channel for yeah, forever. He's I mean, one of these people. Pat went to unbelievable lengths. He's always dyeing his hair, dyeing <laughs> his beard. You know, you see these guys who are, you know, getting lifts because they want to stay on TV a couple more years. I got veneers at one point just so I'd have white teeth, even though <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, you're on this visual medium. You, you know, you've, you've, you better look your best. That's, what, that's true. What is your view, John, on where Fox News is and where they're going with regard to their support for Trump? Um, well, I mean, look, there's, you know, right now, I think it's it's not a, uh, a it's it's not a a big headline to say Hannity seems to be like all in. <laughs> you uh, think? Yeah, you think. <laughs> Um, the, um, I think that, and, and this is just a guess, that the, uh, that Fox and Friends realizes they have, uh, uh, the president watching them every morning. So there's probably some, um, some self-awareness about that. Um, there's, uh, you know, the rest of it, I, I, I think Fox is always going to be, uh, the conservative, you know, alternative, it may not seem to be as conservative as it once was uh, um, all the time. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot more Marie Harfs on the air than than you used to. Although, I must say, when I was doing the 5 o'clock show from, you know, 2000 to 2008, I used to joke that if uh, <clears throat> if it wasn't for my show, the the uh, the, the, the alumni from the Clinton administration would have nothing to do I mean, I had the Lanny Davises and Joe Lockhart's and those guys on all the time, and they all came to fight, and oftentimes they won. You know, they like they because I just wasn't going to be so rude as to like jump them. Um, so it, you know, the average viewer might have looked at it and said, "Well, Lockhart won that round," and Lockhart tends to; he's really smart. Um, but you know, you only had to, for instance, I. Um, I think Tucker Carlson's very good, and he's very conservative. And uh, and Laura Ingram is very good. She's very conservative. And you know the the primetime lineup is still going to look like a very conservative lineup. But you only had to look at Bill O'Reilly's opinion on Hannity, uh, appearance on Hannity the other night <clears throat> to see the difference. I mean, he just popped through the screen as he always did, and um, and. and he, you know, he's whatever else you want to say about O'Reilly. Um, he, he is really good at that, and uh, and you only had to to look at that one night on Hannity to say, wow, yeah, <laughs> those are the days, huh? But well, I, I'm not because of what he did with Trump. I'm I'm not a big fan of O'Reilly, and I've had some personal interactions with Bill that that were not particularly uh, pleasant. So there's a line. 
you know, I mean, Bill's, you know, he's not, he's not a warm and fuzzy guy. No, he's a jackass. Uh, and, well, and, and I'm not going to go that far, <laughs> well, you know, but I just, I, I mean, I just think that I've had some, you know, I'll, I'll give you this little story. I had some visitors, two guys, uh, came up from Texas to, you know, they were in New York and they wanted to go see Fox. And so I was leading them around. I said, look, two things. You bump into somebody, if you bump into Imus, don't talk to him. Just don't, don't talk to him. Uh, if you bump into O'Reilly, just, just keep to yourself. Right. So we get on the elevator, and the doors are closing. His hand comes in, and uh, O'Reilly gets on. He goes, hey, Gibson. Hi, Bill. Uh, who are your friends? So so-and-so and so-and-so from Texas. 17-floor ride, you know, it takes three, four minutes. He never stopped talking to him. No. Just talk, 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 talk. You know, I've been to Texas. I've been to every county, blah, 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 blah. You know, door opens. I'm thinking, who are you? I mean, you know, I said, right. <laughs> you know, it's, he's a lot of different guys. He, sure. Sometimes he's abrupt with people, and sometimes he's very friendly. No, I get it. I get it. Now, last question on, on Fox, John. Uh, from a corporate standpoint, do you have a sense on where the Murdochs want to take it, specifically with regard to Trump? Uh, no, I don't. But what I have, look, and this, what I know about this is what I read in the papers. The Murdochs uh, are very, very intent on getting Sky News in Britain. And this has been going on a number of years. You remember when the, right. the phone hacking scandal kind of right. aborted the Sky News deal a number of years ago. They didn't give up. Uh, part of, of uh, quote-unquote, cleaning up Fox, getting rid of Ailes, O'Reilly, others who uh, had made transgressions, uh, some really stupid ones, which I don't need to be specific about, but I'm sure you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is all to... Uh, to please the regulators. The regulators in Britain have a, a, a clause in the regulations they can rely on, and that is to determine if a broadcaster is, is fit, the quote word fit. It's very vague, can mean anything, uh, and they, it, it, clear, it appears to me that uh, a lot of stuff that's gone on lately with Fox is to make the regulators in Britain... Um, see that that uh, Murdochs are a fit uh, uh, organization to what run do you, Sky. What do you see specifically that fits that uh, description? Well, uh, you know, all the sexual harassment stuff, uh, you know, getting rid of people, mm-hmm. including Ailes and, and uh, O'Reilly and then Bowling and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, and there was another one uh, who... You know, there's just been several of them, right? right. And um, but I also think that you know, the, I don't want to get in trouble. The Murdochs, I have no beef with them, but I thought it was really uh, uh, kind of eyebrow raising that the other day they took Fox off the air in Britain. Um, they said it was for commercial reasons that they really had a very small audience, and maybe they did, but uh, I can't help but feel that that was. Uh, you know, a tip of the cap to the regulators there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They really, they really want Sky, and um, and so Fox will be an American station and not a worldwide uh, station. 
as as far as the Brits are concerned. Um, look, I got censured by the British government uh, at the time I wrote the book uh, "Hating America: The New World Sport," which was right before the Iraq or right about the Iraq invasion. Uh, I wrote one of those opinion pieces that I would read at the end of the show uh, called My Word, and I was jumping all over the BBC for their anti-Americanism at the time, and I called them a bunch of foaming at the mouth, uh, knuckle-dragging America haters. And, you know, that was on the air in Britain. Fox was on the air in Britain. Well, uh, somebody who worked for the BBC complained to the Office of Communications called Ofcom, and a giant investigation ensued in which <laughs> the vice president of international relations was in my office saying, well, you said this, uh, they want to know, well, how, can you prove that? And ultimately I said, look, take chapter 13 out of my book. That's the whole thing about the BBC. Just send it to them, rip it out and send it to them. <laughs> and so they were going to take Fox off the air because of what I said about the BBC. Hmm. And ultimately it came down to where they settled for a censure. And uh, so they sent me a copy of the censure. <laughs> and I said, doesn't, like, a plaque come of this? You know, like, if you lived in L.A., they'd make one of those really nice things, you know? I hope you have it on your wall, don't well, you? Well, no, but when I, when I went to London a year ago, I thought, I better take this with me in case they stop me. Maybe mm-hmm. one of those Michael Savage things will happen to me. Yeah. Uh, it didn't. But, you know, I mean, there's been... You just have to remember, um, Elizabeth Murdoch was married to a guy named Matthew Freud, who's the, uh, uh, the uh, what was, their divorce now, uh, was the grandson of Sigmund Freud. And he very famously, in some piece in some British magazine, or, or maybe it was in the you know, in a British newspaper or Guardian or something, uh, they were talking about what does the Murdoch family think about Fox? And he was quoted saying, we're all appalled. And, you know, so not so much that he represents the Murdoch family, but he represented right. the the opinion of sort right. of the upper intelligentsia class in Britain. They hated Fox, hated Right. I get and, it. I get it. It all makes sense. All right. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, we're running out of time here, but uh, and, there, and one of the main reasons I, I asked you on this weekend was because I knew that this would be the weekend that uh, O.J. Simpson was going to be released uh, uh-huh. from prison in, in, in Nevada, I, although um, I did not realize it was going to be basically late last night. Uh, they kind of um, you know, they pulled a fast one. They, I think they kind of implied to people that it might not happen until later in the week, and then uh, eight minutes after midnight last night, uh, he was released. And the first I ever came to know you was was back in the day during the O.J. trial. I, I used to um, – you probably don't know this about me. I was a TV uh, sportscaster in Raleigh, North Carolina, who got fired for making a joke about O.J. Simpson's lack of innocence on the air. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I watched you and Geraldo on CNBC – uh, not just once. I would watch you twice. I would watch the the original version of the show and then the rerun because I one I had no I had a lot of time on my hands and two I was like a lot of people I was obsessed with the trial and I and I thought you guys did a great job. I actually preferred you over Geraldo because 
you know, surprise, surprise, Geraldo was a little too dramatic uh, for, for my taste. But, you know, you both, it was clear that both of you understood that OJ was guilty, uh, although, you, you know, occasionally you would, you would dance around it all. And, um, and so, anyway, that's how I first got to, to know you. And I'm curious, now that we, we're entering into a, yet another new chapter in this never-ending saga, what are your thoughts uh, today, John, that, that uh, OJ Simpson is now a free man again? Well, I should say for one thing, um, ever since the trials were over, it was my theory that one day one of his kids would kill him for killing their mother. Um, and I've been kind of surprised that didn't happen. Uh, but I, I don't know. The, the guy just seems to be ever-present, doesn't he? I, I mean, it doesn't really ever go away. It... Um, it, it it's just kind of amazing because so many other uh, pop culture meteors uh, burn out and are gone, and there he is. He's he's still with us. I have no doubt that you know nine years in jail isn't gonna. I mean, there's something's gonna happen. Something. Oh yeah, uh, something I mean, will happen. It's, something will happen. I mean, just. And it may not even be his fault. I mean, people will come at him and all kinds of stuff. But uh, he—he is—he's uh, that uh, pebble in your shoe. You know, it just doesn't go away. It's and he's always there. I, I mean, you're right. I did think he was guilty. Um, I think it was really proved in the criminal trial, but then it was nailed down shut in the civil trial, uh, and there really wasn't any. Anybody who harbored a uh, feeling that somebody else did it uh, is, you know, just sadly mistaken. Uh, look, I think the, the the great mystery of the trial remains this day is where's that knife, and and uh, and nobody has ever come up with a good explanation. Uh, I think it's pretty clear he dumped it in the trash can at LAX. That's I well, think, and that, then if that's the case, it's out in that landfill. Yeah, well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, no, it's like it's 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 a, a, a thousand football fields right. of landfill. Okay, but all right, let's go. There's two things I want to uh, ask you about with regard to this. One, regarding the, the the trial, and two, where we are today. So let me go back, since you just mentioned the, the trial. One of the things that will always stick in my craw, John, I'm very curious to get your reaction to it, since since you were a big part of it at the time, is that I will um, I will forever blame uh, the news media for for at least part of what happened here because i believe that the news media knew damn right well that oj simpson was guilty as hell and but they also knew that if they portrayed it as completely open and shut that they were going to effectively kill this amazing golden goose by draining all the drama out of this this saga and for the because they knew it was good for them they pretended that there was another side to this story which allowed oj to get you know to breathe to get traction to hire the dream team and eventually to effectively brainwash these moronic jurors and i think that if the news media had portrayed this case properly uh, from the beginning, and not worried about their own ratings and their own careers, that O.J. Simpson would still be in prison today. Am I am I right in that assessment? Well, okay, so that's what the news does. It it, it looks for ratings. So this thing, and I can tell you, one of the the big aspects of of 
of people following this case was women, especially white women mm-hmm. who were uh, who were shocked to realize, oh, if you date someone that your husband doesn't like, you could get killed, and surely we're not going to let that go by, and um, and 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 of course. But, you know, bear in mind, you know, O.J. wasn't depending on us for the Dream Team. He had the money to hire those guys. No, no, guys. But, but, John, John, my point here is that it all starts with the news media. The news media allows him to get traction, to get his case to have traction. If, this, if the news media handled this properly, and I, and I realize this sounds obscene because it would never happen in an era where the, the news media is all about making money, but here's what it should have been. Oh, by the way, uh, O.J. Simpson killed his wife and his friend. We'll get back to you later if there it turns out to be any evidence to the contrary and then just ignore it and let the trial take its course. That, that's what should have happened. But but that was that wasn't in anyone's self interest. And if that had happened, OJ gets convicted. Period. Uh, I'm with you up until that last part. Uh, so, do you have time for a story? Sure. Okay. So I love uh, stories. Jo- Johnny Cochran. Uh, I was working in the NBC bureau in Burbank, and uh, in the very very early days of this, I mean the very very early, OJ was in jail. Uh, preliminary hearing hadn't started yet. It was a, a, a big story, but had not become an obsessive round-the-clock story. Uh, uh, Johnny Cochran and Ira Reiner, the former uh, LADA, were two expert guys that would come on Brokaw's show, and so they were up in the NBC bureau, sitting around waiting for to you know sit in the chair and do nightly news with Brokaw. And I would watch Johnny Cochran on the phone, on his cell phone. Mm-hmm. And I could overhear him saying, "Yeah, yeah, not yet, not yet, yeah, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet." And I thought for sure he was talking to OJ. And what then happened was uh, Johnny Cochran became part of the community leaders led by John Mack of the Urban League that called mm-hmm. Gil Garcetti in uh, for a meeting at the Urban League to insist that the trial be held downtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, the community was insisting that uh, the trial not be held out in Brentwood in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. uh, where all those white people would be on the jury, but downtown where there was a chance black people would be on the jury. Uh, Gil Garcetti cave political uh, uh, political right. reasons. Right. Uh, trial set downtown. Boom, Johnny's on the case. Uh, so Johnny gets the uh, venue he wants, knowing he'll get the jury he wants, and don't forget. Johnny has spent a career in L.A. Mm-hmm. proving some cop or another tr- mistreated right. or killed some black person. Right. So when he walks in, he's almost got the case won. And uh, no, I, I get John. I look. I understand that this jury was not um, open-minded <laughs> to to. Uh, well, plus uh, they were tortured. I yeah, remember, right. remember how long they were Oh, no, sequestration, I think, was a major part of the verdict. And, and the proof of that, by the way, is how the hell do you go through a case that that's long, that, that long, that involved, that big of a deal? You take one vote, it's 10 to 2, and then within two hours, everybody agrees. The only way that happens is right, two reasons. One, racial intimidation, and two, that these people have been living their lives for over a year based upon the notion that they're going to agree on everything, that the majority rules. And that's not the way a jury's supposed to work. 
So, um, you know, that, that to me is partially why uh, the jury ended up uh, acquitting him, race being the, the biggest issue of all. But I guess I just, John, I, I, and, and it's also important to point out when you mentioned Johnny Cochran, Cochran himself, before he got hired, his first statements on television were that O.J. was guilty. <laughs> so, every, yeah, every, yeah, I know, but the, the maneuvering that, that Cochran did was, I, I mean, I, I've always felt it was, one of the most crucial aspects of the outcome right. of the trial. Okay, but do you, and I agree with that. I agree tactically, you're right. But do you agree with me, John, that, and you were there, I wasn't, uh, you know, I was watching on television, but w- what percentage of the news media covering that trial knew that O.J. Simpson was guilty? Knew it? What percentage? How close can you get to 100? <laughs> is it a hundred? Was it a hundred? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think it was okay. actually. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there are very many people who thought that. I mean, at one point I remember um, saying, and it got a big laugh that w- that day in the trial, the people who were telling us to not the defense to not believe the prosecution's DNA evidence were the same people who are now telling us that melting ice cream was evidence of innocence and i said okay so now these guys are telling us dna is junk science but we're supposed to believe junk food science (laughs) there was a lot of there was just a lot of rigmarole going on and you know uh, deflection and and distraction and all of that playing to the jury as well and look i'll confess to you the reason that i was on that story for a year and a half every single day was that at that point I'd been a reporter for uh, 20 years, and I, I, I mean, I was 48, 49 years old. I had never seen a story that big. I was going to ride that baby every single day because mm-hmm. it was going to get me out of being just a humdrum street reporter. Right. And it did. Right. And, and John, but see, that mentality, and a lot of people made their careers on OJ, a lot, mm-hmm. which would not have happened if the case had been reported properly. Uh, and, 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 and <laughs> it would not have happened. And, uh, All right. So rain on my parade. No, no. I'm not blaming you, John. I mean, you you at least. I would, if anybody offended in that manner, I'd be the top of the list. No, well, but see, you at least were willing to go out there and effectively say, although I don't know if you ever did, but you effectively said uh, that you believed OJ was, was guilty. But let me give you a, a real hardcore example. You know, the news media's conniption, the vapors over the, the failed glove demonstration, was right. a perfect example of this. this. The glove demonstration didn't prove squat, but because it was a great narrative, oh my God, he might be innocent. This is, you know, all the drama now is, is really in this trial. Of course, it's all good for ratings. That, to me, was the perfect example of where the news media didn't give a damn about the truth of this matter. Well, I think and, that if it was, when it was, discussed in the news if it was discussed properly was this this is the kind of thing that could tip it for the jury anybody you know anybody thinking about it would have said well look the gloves all dried up it was soaked in blood and he's got a plastic glove underneath it of course it's not going to fit right but but they could see well 
If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. That's, you know, that's the kind of thing that could tip it for the jury. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I just will always blame the news media for far more of this, the percentage of this injustice than uh, they have ever gotten. Now, speaking of the news media, John, last question for you. So, so now OJ is, is out, and here's my fear. In a weird way, I think OJ may be in a better position to somewhat rehabilitate himself today than he was before he committed the crime in Las Vegas. And let me explain why. There's two reasons. One, I think in a weird way, now that he's served time, there's a contingent of people who think, okay, well, he's done his time. It's now okay to treat him as a normal human being. Not, that's not a, a majority, but there's, a, there's some people who might think that if only subconsciously. Secondly, I think the news media in the last decade has devolved so much. And the standards have gone, you know, as we've seen with Trump, have gone so low that the, the wall that was put up in the media before Las Vegas preventing O.J. from getting anything, sem- any semblance of his life back may have disintegrated to the point now where celebrity trumps everything. It doesn't matter w- that he's a double murderer and committed this crime of armed, burg- uh, armed robbery and kidnapping in Las Vegas. I think there's going to be news media outlets willing to give O.J. a lot more traction than they ever would have previously. Am I right or wrong about that? He'll be on TV. Um, I, I wouldn't call it the news media, um, but he'll definitely be on TV, and uh, somebody will get the, uh, you know, the big interview, uh, and it will be ballyhooed, and it will be promoted, and it will, uh, you know, tons of controversy. It look, the 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 media, quote unquote media, isn't just the news media anymore. Right. I mean, you know, Nightly News probably isn't going to put him on for a big interview, and I don't even think CBS Morning News is, but um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him turning up on, I don't know what, uh, but I, I, it wouldn't hey, surprise some, me to some see him cable, turn up on TV. Uh, CNN, I'll bet. I'll bet CNN might give him, a, give him an interview. Well, maybe. I mean, I, look, it's um, whoever does it, let's not forget that, Judith Regan got fired oh, from yeah. her from her uh, what, her uh, her publishing imprint taken away for that book. Right, which she deserved, by the way, because that was outrageous. I mean, she 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 bought a book from OJ. If I did it, uh, which was uh, the, the 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 pseudo confession of a double murderer, and now I mean she got what she deserved. But my, you're making my point, I think, which is that that media environment doesn't exist today. I think today. O.J. could write if I did it and get major interviews out of it, and a publishing house would not you know, fire the, the, the person who did this. I'm, I'm, do you agree with that? It, it, yes and no. I mean, I think a major publishing house, remember, that was an imprint of HarperCollins, which is owned by Murdoch, so you know, they, they, had, uh, they could be embarrassed. I think a, mar- a major publishing house might still be embarrassed, but there's lots of small ones. And there's lots of people who can get some juice out of that kind of attention. So, yeah, I agree with you, but I don't think it's going to be the majors. I think they're still, you know, because you're right that people think he's guilty and, you know, are convinced he's guilty, uh, putting him on will be embarrassing and they'd rather forego the money. But they're, geez, you know, it, in today's media, all the people who call themselves journalists who aren't, you know, will they put him on? Sure. I wouldn't bet against that at all. 
Yeah, I hear you. All right, John, you've been very gracious with your time. I really appreciate now, one it. One more thing. Yeah. You're not going to put this on Mediate and, and with pull out some quote and, and have me run out of town, are you? Well, uh, that's possible. Um, <laughs> uh, I have nothing to do with what Mediate does with it. Uh, but I think you've probably said some things that media, Mediate might find uh, noteworthy. We'll see. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out tomorrow, John. Uh, yeah, just don't get my son fired. No, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And, uh, and by the way, how can people find you? John? Yes. How can people find you? Oh, it's easy. It's johngibson.com. There we go. John, it's, not, it's not hard at all. All right, johngibson.com. John Gibson, thanks so much for your time. Keep in touch. All right, John. That, Good to talk to you. That's a John Gibson. Very interesting interview on, I think, a number of important topics. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. As I, is always the case, I ask only two things of you. First, if you liked uh, this podcast, please make sure you share it via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you, because that's the only way people will find out about it other than if Mediate reports on it. And number two, <laughs> uh, also do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps, when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.